Hi, I'm Faye Wilson and I beat the often path by being a long COVID survivor and founder of Happier Beauty, which is a sustainable dental care brand. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Now, this is the show where I give you concrete examples of how you can be successful without being a dick. And maybe, just maybe, the kind of success that's only about money isn't really success at all. Maybe. Today's guest is Faye Wilson, a fascinating woman who constructed a career plan that saw her slingshot from the corporate world to building her own eco-friendly toothpaste and dental care brand. We discuss how she brought her idea to market, changing her own life in the process. She's been featured in Vogue, Glamour, and a bunch of top-shelf media outlets, and her story is a great template for how you can build a business that serves both you personally and the planet. So here's Faye Wilson, founder of Happier Beauty. Well, welcome to the show, Faye. Thank you so much for joining me. I think I speak for a lot of listeners when I say that those two things don't seem like they go together, but I'm sure we're going to find it a very unusual story here. So at the outset, before we get into the long COVID piece of things, can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do, what your brand is? Good. So um, my brand is Happy Beauty. It's a sustainable dental care brand. It's really all about dentist-approved oral care, but without the plastic waste. I mean, I discovered a few years ago that 1.5 billion single-use plastic toothpaste tubes go to landfill every year. And I was shocked. And I was like, oh, my God, that's just awful. And then when you consider that plastic takes, you know, 500 years to degrade, every single plastic toothpaste tube ever made exists somewhere still in landfill or you know even worse in our ocean somewhere so i started happy beauty because i really wanted to change that i am massively on a mission to just get rid of all of this single-use plastic toothpaste tubes and actually all the rest of the single-use plastic that comes within the you know the dental care sphere you know you've got teeth whitening with plastic bits here there and everywhere so that's really my my mission because I kind of feel like um you know there's a lot of focus on plastic free shampoo plastic free you know skin cream and lots of other kind of product areas and plastic free cleaning area cleaning things and and actually dental care just seemed to be one of those product categories that was not really focused on that much by some of these bigger um, sustainable brands that are starting out. And I just thought, God, we can do better. There's got to be a better solution. There's got to be a better way. That's my motto. Yeah, than just churning out more single-use plastic toothpaste tubes every year. So, So yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, I was just going to say, that was my kind of kickoff, really. Yeah. Well, why why dental care? Why toothpaste? Out of all of the things, how did you gravitate towards that field? Well, it's, again, really, really interesting because it's, um, again, like I said, it's one of those product categories that's quite mundane. It's not very sexy. It's not very exciting. People, people use toothpaste, but they don't really think about it very much. 
And I was back in 2017, I was, I was trying to be really healthy, trying to cut loads of, you know, eat clean, trying to, you know, make sure that my diet was as clean as it could possibly be. And I was looking at all the ingredients in my food and I was just, and just this first thought struck me. I was like, why don't I check what's in toothpaste? Cause I mean, I put that in my mouth and I presumably I must swallow quite a lot of that during the year. And and I was really shocked when I looked at the ingredients on my toothpaste tube. First of all, I couldn't even pronounce them, never mind read them. I then spent, you know, hours and hours, week, well, weeks and weeks, actually, Googling all of these ingredients because they were so complicated. They were, you know, substrate of a molecule of a this and a that and and it was really, really difficult to find out what all the different ingredients were. And, you know, that just made me a bit shocked that in this kind of day and age where we expect openness about ingredients lists, you know, when our food in the UK, we have food labelling laws. That means that our food labels need to be really clear so that people can understand what's in food. And I was like, why is it so hard to understand what's in my toothpaste? And then during my research, I then discovered that toothpaste has contained soap. It's got the same soap in it. You know, it foams because it's got the same soap that we use in our hand wash. It's got antibacterials, which are actually quite similar to lots of the hand cleansers that we use now in our post-pandemic world. You don't um, enjoy you the know, taste seems... of silica gel? <laughs> well, yes, exactly, exactly. And then, um, and then as well, I was really shocked to discover toothpaste actually has petrochemicals in it. So if right. you look in your ingredients list in your toothpaste tube and you see anything that says PEG, so PEG-8 or PEG-12, that's actually derived from petroleum. And I was like, why would I want to put this in my mouth twice a day? And I definitely don't want to put it in my children's mouths. Absolutely. So, so that's where it began. All right. So this was many years ago. You began the journey of personal yeah. health and you ended up with this question, as many of us do. Unfortunately, yeah. we're all well ahead of the world because you said some people are focusing on shampoos. Well, I think that's only partly true because if you take a glance in any grocery store, it's still all single-use plastics. The vast majority yeah. is still single-use plastic everywhere. Yeah. But describe that moment. So you said, hey, toothpaste is actually much worse than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. So here's an opportunity for me to do something about it. I'm most fascinated about the transitional period between where somebody has an idea and the execution of that idea. What propelled you forward to actually say, I'm going to solve this. It's not just a pipe dream, not just something I'm going to talk about with my mates at the pub, but it's something I'm actually going to do something about. How did that happen? So good, good question. So it was during that period of research, researching all of the ingredients and just reading everything that I could about toothpaste that I came across that fact that, one well more than 1.5 billion toothpaste tubes go to landfill every year specifically because they can't be recycled it's not that people don't recycle it's because they can't be recycled and i you know at the time i was working full i was still working full time in my previous job i was commuting for 3 hours a day on a train so i i think i was actually on the train because i did most of my kind of research and work you know, in my, in my free time when I was sat on the train. And I, I think I was on the train when I discovered that. And I think I might have actually, like, ex swore exclamation because I was so shocked. It's like 1.5 
billion. Billion. And I remember people on the train looking round at me as I was kind of, you know, swearing out into the into the train carriage, you know, because train carriage is always silent, aren't they? And, and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, that is shocking. And then when I combined that with the kind of the, the opaqueness of the ingredients and the fact that the ingredients are really not that great for us, and then with the fact that it's really bad for the environment as well, I was like, this is a product category that really has just been coasting for years that the you know the incumbents that manage these categories you know that you know they're still marketing toothpaste in the same way that they did in the 90s in the 80s and the 90s when I was growing up and I was like you know they haven't moved it on they've just they're just resting on their laurels there is a mat and, and that was when when I realized that there was a massive opportunity to do something better and that the incumbents were just there wait you know they were not they were not they were just taking people's money and not, um, you know, it really wasn't that great. I was like, this is an opportunity to do something better, to better ingredients, better for the planet, you know, better for us, better for the planet. And um, yeah, that, that was when I was like, right, I'm doing this. Fascinating. And the reason that they can't be recycled is because it's a particular kind of composite material, right? It's a mixture of plastics and metals and various things that are glued or fused together. And yeah. once they're fused together, they can never become unfused. Yeah. I've yeah. learned this from doing this show, that this is a particularly nasty form of plastic yeah. waste. And that's why it ends up in landfills and in the ocean. So $1.5 you said there's got to be a better way. So how did yeah. you begin creating your solution for this problem? So I, my background is in product development, albeit in clothing product development. So I just kind of started doing what I did every day in my normal job. You know, I think, right, okay, well, if I'm going to manufacture this, what am I going to need? I'm going to need a factory. I'm going to need someone to help me formulate it. I'm going to need uh, technical knowledge. You know, I'm going to need all of these things. And I sort of slowly started you know, with a lot of Google, a lot of a lot of research, I kind of started putting those pieces in place and, you know, finding a manufacturer that I could work with because it was really, really tough because toothpaste is an industry that thrives on huge numbers because it's a really cheap commodity product. Um, and so, you know, to, to make it um, economically viable, you know, a, a toothpaste run will be 100, 200,000 units. And obviously for little old me, startup me, bootstrapped with, you know, no big funding, I needed a manufacturer that I could work with who could do much smaller minimum order quantities, who could do, be more flexible and do something different instead of just churning out loads of printed plastic tubes. Um, so, so, yeah, so, so that was basically how I kind of started. Um, I've got to say it took me probably nearly a year before I found a manufacturer that I could work with. And then at the same time, probably over a year before I could find a tube supplier that I could work with. Because so the first kind of product, let's see if you see that, the first oh, product that I did, I, I just was like, why don't we just do aluminium tubes instead of plastic? because we used to use aluminium tubes a long, long time ago. It's infinitely recyclable. It is works, it obviously works as a tube because we've used it before. Yes. And, you know, why can't we just go back to aluminium tubes? 
so so that that was what I kind of did and um but finding the manufacturer to make these tubes took longer than finding the manufacturer to make the toothpaste weren't those types of tubes used for things like oil paints and various similar th- I seem yeah. to recall in my childhood oil paints <laughs> and metallic tubes yes yeah so they, they still do so um oil paints and things like um hair dyes tend to come in aluminium tubes but there are really not that many manufacturers who make them anymore and again if you if they do they've got 100,000 200,000 minimums so I needed a an, an unusual supplier of aluminium tubes who could do me smaller quantities and be flexible and um yeah that that, that took a long time but um yeah we, we got there eventually I kind of had to bootstrap it by so this is one of the first tubes that I did which you might not be able to see on the screen but I spent the, the first whole bulk order that I did I hand stuck on each of these logo labels here and then each of the these kind of um you know the ingredients labels on the back because I could I literally couldn't afford to get a printed tube because the the, it it was the you know the money it was far too much for me to to afford it so so the first few thousand I mean I literally spent hours every night sticking (laughs) sticking each sticker on each tube that was my first job at a big box retailer was sticking the labels on cds thousands and thousands of them I know that feeling very well (laughs) 1999, oh, 1999, 1999, 1999, all day, every day. Yeah. It's fun yeah. work. Yeah, but, you know, you kind of, you know, sometimes when I look back, I think, oh, my God, what, what was I thinking? But, you know, I wanted to get it done, and that was the only way to do it, so. That makes sense. And during this time, I'm imagining that you held on to a job. You were working a regular job while you were getting this off the ground. Uh, do you still, or have you been able to transition full time into this new business? So yes, I was working full time, and you know, as I said, I was commuting. So I pretty much did all of the development work, all of the research, all of the development work, all of the negotiations while I was sat on the train coming home from work or going into London to work. Um, you know, I, I was email doing doing my research, emailing my suppliers, you know, negotiating prices. I, you know, designed and built my website on the train. I, you know, kind of helped, you know, did some of the design work and the artwork for the brand and everything while I sat on the train. So it was kind of, um, you know, I had to take sort of annual leave to be able to go up to and visit, you know, the suppliers and visit the factories and, um, spend days with them uh, blending formulas and you know tasting all the different flavors um, while, while I was working full time. So it was a super super crazy period. Um, yeah, and, and you mentioned I'm a few now, hours you know, each day. Is there Wi-Fi on British trains? Is there internet on these trains? <laughs> do, do you know, I was I was just um, hopping off my uh, mobile bandwidth. So, Tethering from yeah, the there's, phone, there's brilliant. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but in terms of now, I now work full time on Happy Beauty. I, um, yeah, I've been able to transition. I had to take some time off um, because I got COVID at the beginning of the pandemic. I launched 
Happier Beauty in, after, you know, I started working on Happy Beauty in 2017, did all that work, researched everything. And then I was finally ready to launch it in September 2019, it, which just felt... Um, Great timing. Know, yeah, very scary. <laughs> but, you know, obviously at that point, we didn't know what was coming. No. Um, yeah, so September 19, launched it, had a... You know, when I look back, it was an amazing launch, actually. Um, it was kind of, you know, wonderful. It was, I was working with a PR specialist that I'd met through my work. And within a week of her sending out the press release to various, uh, you know, publications and magazines, it had been picked up by Vogue, um, by Stylist, by Grazia, uh, The Telegraph, the Independent, to be featured in... Um, you know, in various coverage. And, you know, I used to work in fashion and, you know, I've grown up with Vogue being like the Bible. <laughs> and, you know, for me to get a product that I've worked on um, to in Vogue was just the best. It, it was, it was the imagine. best. I mean, you know, I've worked on this product development for two years in secret. You know, I told a few people and, you know, my husband said to me, quote unquote, this is the worst idea you've ever had <laughs> yeah I mean he, he was like this is a terrible idea and all my friends were like oh really are you sure toothpaste it's not very interesting is it and and you know and and I don't, obviously I'd had huge doubts myself as well because I'd invested so much time and money into it and then just to have the launch and to have a publication as you know as esteemed as Vogue picking up my product and then you know using it in a photo shoot and then writing it I was like oh my god I genuinely the absolute I was like wow yes I think if Vogue are liking it I'm definitely onto something here and um yeah and it, it's quite funny actually because at that point as I said I was I couldn't afford to get the tubes printed so I was so in the Vogue photo shoot where they've got this beautiful photo you can still see the edges of the sticker, the logo sticker that I'd hand stuck on while sure. I was sat watching the TV after work one evening. That's how you know it's well. artisanal toothpaste, handcrafted. <laughs> yeah, That's well, another yeah. selling point. <laughs> handcrafted <laughs> yeah, with love, right? <laughs> so these, I noticed from your website, you've gotten quite a bit of good traditional press. Did you seek that out, like the Vogue feature, or did they come to you? And if they found you, how did they find you? So, um, so as I said, I worked with um, a, a PR specialist who yeah. I met through um, the work that I was doing previously to setting up Happy Beauty. Um, she has been invaluable. Um, great. And, you know, as, as a starter, it's, it's one of the things that I am really glad that I got the experience that I did in the job that I was doing before um, working on Happier was because it really helped me understand the value of PR and just how important it is for, yes, it might not drive, you know, it might not drive you, you might not be able to see a direct click, you know, a direct link between a sale and that PR article, but that kind of halo effect of having, um, you know, magazines that people really read and absorb and trust is really important and you know we have kind of um you know social proof where you know it's all about influences and people saying yes I love this product it's just another level of social proof if you if the magazine 
or the publication that you read and you trust regularly is telling you that this product is great, then that for me was uh, really important. And, you know, PR sometimes is something that startups don't spend that much money on, but honestly, it has been worth every penny. Interesting. So, and, 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 you know, just to reiterate that, that, um, you know, spend on PR is going to my PR lady. It's not because we've been able to, you know, we've been paying for advertorials or things like that. This is genuine journalist driven because they've seen the product, liked it and wanted to feature it. That's so wonderful. What a great insight that is. So <laughs> PR you know, am... first, but I think it's worth going back. Let's backtrack just a bit. So what were you doing? You said you had had experience before in your previous job. So what was your job previously and how did that set you up for this? Do you know, I was so lucky. I had um, a brilliant job. I was working for a large, um, very well-known retailer in the UK and they are both grocery retail and also kind of general merchandise, clothing, food, household, electricals. You know, they do everything. They're a big, big department store. Sure. And, um, and they were looking at new business opportunities. And so my job was to essentially set up mini startups within a corporate environment. So, you know, the, 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 the main brands did their, did their bit. And then we were tasked with looking at new opportunities that would extend those kind of brands into new markets, new verticals, new product categories, et cetera. Um, a lot of it was digitally led. Uh, a lot of it was around services, but it really helped to understand, you know, all the kind of the nuts and bolts of, of you know, setting up a startup from scratch, you know, right from the beginning of evaluating different kind of possible opportunities you know from evaluating the likely market size the customer you know all those different things that you look at to see whether or not this one is a something that we should test then through to doing all of the testing and you know testing with consumers doing various digital tests testing you know talking to customers on the street and then all the way through to actually building it working with tech team working with the ops team you know leading those teams to then actually create something um, and then run it so I did that for a few years and ran, you know, investigated, set up multiple different opportunities, tested them and then, you know, ran them. Um, and then when we tested it and got um, this kind of feedback from customers, if it was, you know, looked like, the, you know, we did various analysis to um, understand the figures and the financials, if it looked like it was a goer, then it would get passed back to the main business to, to um, you know, scale it basically. But I'm pretty sure I have a, invaluable I think I've, training. Brilliant. I think I've seen that movie. It's starring Jennifer Lopez. Uh, I don't know which. There's a movie that came out not too long ago about somebody who did exactly that, a buyer, and they had to build their own product within a company. Yeah. Fascinating story. So you had work that directly prepared you for this. Yeah. We're going to switch the script a little bit here, and I'm going to do a little bit of an ad, but I'm not sponsored by Squarespace. Dang it, I mentioned their name. Crap! But what I will say is that I have a marketing agency and my marketing agency helps out eco-friendly brands, B Corps, and nonprofits. It's called Aloha Marketing, A-L-O-A Marketing.com. I seek to amplify stories just like this podcast and brands that deserve to be heard, people who are doing good in the world. So if you know somebody who's in need of a website redesign or e-commerce business or general SEO, digital marketing, any of those types of things, 
be sure to head over to my own website, aloamarketing.com, that's A-L-O-A marketing.com, and schedule a consultation. Great, see, I can sponsor my own podcast. See, Mom, it wasn't all a waste of time. And now, back to the show. Now, the big question, the big elephant in the room, and there's a debate that's going to rage on and on right now between the corporate job, the safe job, being an employee and doing it yourself. Obviously, Instagram, social media influencers have been coming out saying, build your own business, take control of your life, and so on and so forth. And now we're seeing almost a backlash where people are saying, yeah, but it's great to be an employee. You should become an employee. Now you have been on both sides of this. Where do you stand now for you personally on the employee versus building your own business debate, if you will? For me, personally, I love running my own business. It's really, really hard. And it's quite hard being a single founder. But I love it. I have wanted to run my own business for so long. Um, And, you know, part of the reason that I I applied for that job was so that I could learn skills so that when I eventually set up my own start, my own business, I would have learned all of those skills. Um, Strategic. I I like it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of knew where I wanted to go. I, I got two kids and on my, when I was on maternity leave with my second child, I set up a business because, you know, I had, um, it sounds a bit crazy now, but I actually had more free time then than I did when I was working because my work was really intense. And so I set up a small business then that was, I don't know, about 10 years ago and just, you know, ran it and then obviously gave it up when I had to go back to work. But it just really gave me the bug that, you know, this is what I want to do. And yeah, this is what I want to do. I mean, in, in my previous career, I've made as a buyer, I've made a lot of money for the brands that I've bought for, for the, for the retailers, the corporates that I've worked for. And so I suppose it came to a point where I was like, do you know what? I fancy making some of this money for me instead. instead Right. You'd like that adventure. You'd like to to wake up and not know that there is a ceiling on what you can do and what you can earn, that your value has an unlimited potential instead of just keep showing up. That's, you know what? a yeah. whole lot less red tape and paperwork and all of the things that come with corporates where, you know, you've got office politics and all that stuff. I don't yeah. have office politics. Right. You know? That's so true. I mean, obviously I feel the same way I, in my own little way. I have often thought about starting a product business. It's one of these great questions that I personally have. I have a digital marketing agency, so I help yeah. Companies like yours or other companies sell their stuff. And it's also similar because even though I am a business owner, I sometimes think to myself, would I like to make a product and do that kind of thing and be even more direct? But I certainly, at least being a business owner in an agency capacity, that's something that I feel I could never give up. And there's often a lot of pull. Why do you think there's so much pull from friends, from family, from coworkers to say, just do the stable thing, sign your life away via an employment agreement, sign every idea you've ever had away, and then you're safe. Why is that so appealing? And why do people, like you said, this is the stupidest idea you've ever had. Why are people so against these types of 
adventures, even though it's quite normal nowadays to be an entrepreneur. Why do you think the pull is still there? I, don't know, I, I suppose it's risk, isn't it? I mean, we, we live in a really uncertain world and I, I actually think we're living in a more, you know, as, as we know more and our social media is becoming all more all consuming and we're over, you know, we're completely oversaturated with data and information. I actually think it's making us less certain about the future because we see so many different potential options and things that could happen. And so I, I, I think that's part of the reason. And um, and definitely on my husband's side, when he said, this is the worst idea you've ever had, he was thinking, God, how are we going to pay our mortgage? How are we, you know, those, those kind of basic questions. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know, actually. I think it's just that risk and that level of uncertainty. Yeah, and, and I think people have a perception that that there is more safety in doing these things than there is. I think there it is a perception because mm-hmm. the reality is that somebody can be fired from a job at any time as well. At least, certainly here in the United States, you can be fired at any time for any reason. I know Europe has more protections and there's a bit mm-hmm. less leeway there, but... In some sense, do you believe that it's more the illusion of security than actual security, or do you think mm-hmm. it is less risky? Do you know what? I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, the illusion of less risk, definitely. And, um, yeah, I mean, in the UK, we, we can, you know, we can get fired as well. It's not, it's not quite as hire and fire as it is in America, but there's definitely a move towards more firing and less kind of job security um so yeah definitely that illusion of of um safety net um and then i think it's also you know when people read facts that you know what is it 90 percent of startups fail before they've even you know after before three years and things like that and so so i mean you can understand why people are um when they read things like that you can understand why people are nervous about it yeah yeah and i think we all have bills and especially as you get older you have two kids i have one kid when you have a family to support then the amount of pressure on your shoulders is amplified and then the fear of not being able to pay your mortgage and so on becomes amplified so in those key transitory moments in the early stages when you were maybe thinking should I switch over should I not switch over should I quit my job now or should I wait three more months how did you give yourself the appropriate space to build a fledgling business without being in a state of panic but having that urgency there yeah um do you know one of the things that really helped me was because my um, it's, <laughs> my husband's life situation changed and he got a new job, um, you know, which was much better paid and it was a really great company. And, and actually that then gave us both the kind of the security to think, well, do you know what, maybe if it, you know, if, if, one, if, if I'm not earning any money, then we can just get by. And, you know, it, may, it just minimises that risk because, as you say, once you've got kids, the need to be able to pay your mortgage and pay your food and pay your rent every month just increases exponentially. I mean, you know, before I had kids, I knew that 
you know, I'm lucky. I've got two amazing parents who love me. And I know that if I'd completely and utterly screwed everything up, then I could go, even though I'm 40, could go and live on, you know, spend some time sleeping on their sofa or in their spare room. If I completely messed everything up. Everything but fell as apart. As, you, as soon as you get kids, it's like, right, I, I am really responsible for them and their security and their upbringing and their feeding them. And you're like, right, it just makes that risk harder to take, doesn't it? Yeah. Did you find it? Do you find that as well? Yes, absolutely. It's it's a constant balance. And I often think about the struggles that people find themselves in. Now we know that we're in this very bizarre time in the world of work, certainly in America, but I think worldwide with remote jobs, a lot yeah. of jobs have been lost, perhaps never to return. Other mm -hmm. jobs have changed. In some sense, people say it's a great job market, but in another sense, it's a horrible job market. So I am very interested in these systems and I constantly think I'm a philosopher at heart and I look at the way that people are trapped and I don't want to use the word slavery, but something like prisoners, we're all prisoners in a sense to capitalism, the greater structure of money. We all need money, but in a real sense, it's very easy to see how somebody can be a, a prisoner, quote unquote, in a job that they don't like. Mm -hmm. And they have this cycle of, I need to pay my mortgage, I need to pay my bills, so yeah. I have to stay in this job. I hate my job. Something yeah. like 70% of all Americans hate their job, not just dislike, but hate their job. Pretty strong. And even, you know, you flip that switch and I became a business owner. I started my own company. I went on my own seven years ago and I've been able to do that. But when you're an agency, you rely on a steady stream of new customers. You have to have business coming in. And yeah. if you have a three-month contract, you're great for three months, but then you need that next three-month or that next six-month contract. So even that is a form of, am I taking on the clients that I really want to be taking on? Am I doing the kind of projects that I really like or that I care about? Or am I doing this project just because I need money next month? And yeah. I think we all wrestle with that between an ideal version of what our life could be and at least mm -hmm. people who are smart or people who care and what we need to do in the short term. So mm -hmm. I think I've softened my belief as a general theoretical thing. I wish that more of us cared about the environment. I wish that more of us put some consideration into the planet instead of just money, money, money. But I also recognize that for many of us, particularly the lowest income people, yeah. paying that next month's bill has to take priority. And if they have to do that selling cigarettes for Marlboro, well, in fact, that's just yeah. what has to happen for some people. Yeah. But I've kind of got to this point now where I think if you have the luxury to focus on the environment, to focus on a greater issue, and you don't, I think that's a shame. And that's why I get so upset by people like Jeff Bezos who have all the money in the world and they don't do anything with it. Or Mark Zuckerberg have all the money in the world. They don't do anything with it. That is a tragedy in my book. And I think for people like us who are, let's say, in the middle or slightly above the middle, it's great to say I have this freedom because of my partner and I'm going to choose to do something that's just marginally better than building a toothpaste brand that is just as bad as every other toothpaste brand. And that's why I started this podcast was to share these kinds of stories to yeah. remind people that not everybody is only focused about money all the time, that there is some other consideration as unpopular as it may be yeah. to have. So that's my roundabout answer to that question. Oh, God, I couldn't agree more with you. 
I kind of, you know, capitalism is literally eating itself before our very eyes. Correct. I mean, we, you know, the, the planet will carry on. The planet will survive. We will not. We will not. George and, Carlin, <laughs> one of my favorite yeah, quotes. We won't. That's but, so um, right. And I yeah. think a lot of people, and I listen to business podcasts and I'm aware of this. And I think it's a tension that we all must face because we exist within that capitalist system. And you must face, face this as well. I want to sell more product. I want to reach the widest possible audience. Wouldn't it be great if I became a billionaire through selling eco-friendly dental hygiene products? We, we have the smart person that says what will make the most money, what will be the most effective marketing. And then we have this other voice that says, hey, I want my kids to be able to play in a park and I want their grandkids to see a tree in their life. Yeah. And if I listen to other more popular business podcasts, the typical male bro culture business podcast, they just focus on what works. And oh, what works mine. is yeah. all this crap, this harmful, polluting crap. What works is cheap toothpaste, 1.5 billion tubes of toothpaste that never go away. That's what works. And you yeah. say, but hey, what about what about making slightly less more money and feeling better about yourself at night. Well, that is surely not a popular viewpoint in today's social media climate. That is not what people want to hear. Unfortunately, I've found. I know. I, I, um, I agree with you completely. I mean, I, there, I, I do really believe, though, that business, you can have a balanced business. Um. So I'm, uh, I've, um, so Happier Beauty is a B Corp pending. So it's the B Corp um, accreditation for startups that are on their journey to becoming a fully accredited B Corp. And, you know, I do really believe that because, you know, when you look at capitalism, it has absolutely improved the situation for billions of people around the world over the last 500 years. I mean, that's undeniable. Very However, true. Capitalism, it's like everything in, in, in nature. There is a yin and a yang. And, a, a, you know, it's, it's, you know, capitalism without that pull, that tension holding it back can, is, you know, is running wild. And um, so I think that I really believe that business can be better and can make decisions that are for the good of the wider society, not just for shareholders. And, you know, being part of that B Corp movement is, you know, it's such a growing movement, such a brilliant movement. And they really, they really focus on that. The fact that you can be a business, you can, you know, you, you can um, improve the lot of your, of all of your stakeholders. So your employees, the, the community that the businesses operate within, your customers, your, you know, your wider stakeholders, as well as just the shareholders who ultimately, you know, earn their, you know, their profit share revenue. Yeah. And I completely agree. And that's, if anything, my hypothesis or my thesis with this show is to try to show these stories. Because what does business have? Business is a powerful tool for appealing to people's more basic natures. I need to brush my teeth. I don't want to go clean up plastic from the ocean. That's a bridge too far. But what I can do is buy your toothpaste instead of another toothpaste. And then I just brush my teeth as normal. And I think business has the capacity to make these broad, sweeping, systematic changes. If everybody didn't use this shampoo and they used a better shampoo, that would make a difference. If people yeah. stopped 
buying Coca-Cola in plastic bottles, that would make a difference. <laughs> and I think we're at this point where we've come to realize that nobody will pretty much, broadly speaking, do anything for the good of the planet, for the good of somebody or something else. Yes. But they might make a tiny change. And I think business is it's essentially the last and only tool that we have <laughs> to yeah. make any kind of difference. Because if I go carry a sign and say, hey, donate to f uh, stop climate change, nobody's going to do that. Or if I say, hey, donate to Enhogger, nobody's going to do that. Yeah. But if I say, what if you could have a product that's better for you and better for the environment and it's just as convenient and just as easy to get as anything yeah. else? Well, that is something that can happen. Just like you may not agree with Elon Musk or his policies, surely I don't, but a Tesla is first and foremost a sexy sports car, and second, it's also an electric car. First, it's a luxury car. And that's the way these things, we have to slide change in under the rug. We have yeah. to just sneak in things that are 10%, 20% better. That's what I think. So that's why yeah. I applaud people like you for doing this and saying, okay, I'm going to try to do it this way. I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I do this because I really want to make a difference. I have two kids. I want, I want to be able to have a world where I can meet my grandkids and their, you know, my children feel comfortable and happy enough to actually consider having children. And so I am very, you know, whatever business I was going to set up, it absolutely had to be sustainable and, um, you know, focused on improving the planet rather than making a negative impact on it. Um, but it's really interesting though, talking about how almost it's like the consumer pull of wanting sustainable products is, is, is stronger than the incumbent businesses desire to create them. So actually what you're getting at the moment is capitalism is actually working, you know, you know these sustainable businesses, you know, is a big opportunity because consumers want sustainable products. Certainly in the UK and in Europe, we, you know, is the one of the number one priorities when they come to buying a product. And um, you know, and depending on the um, demographics, it actually comes above price in many of our kind of demographics. And um, so, what what we've got over in UK and Europe really is where consumer pull is pulling the sustainable products out of you know startups are only responding to the consumer demand because you know because no one else is really doing it yet and um so it's really interesting that capitalism is both a kind of slightly negative thing but actually it is working in the um you know consumers are demanding this and businesses are emerging new competitors are emerging to give consumers what they actually want and that might create the change Albeit yes. slowly. Yeah, yeah. It's a consumer-led change. It's definitely. the last arrow. It's the last arrow we have in our quiver. It's the only thing that we have at our disposal, I think. And yeah. and yeah, people are interested up to a point, and they there's always a balance between what can people literally afford. And I think going back to the privilege of being able to start an eco-friendly business mm -hmm. versus not. As a consumer, it's the same kind of thing. Here we have Whole Foods, which has now been bought by Amazon, which is a whole different discussion. But Whole Foods is our eco-friendly, quote-unquote, grocery store, and everything is vastly more expensive. Three, yeah. four, five times you can spend $15 on a jar of peanut butter, which is just ludicrous. But it is eco-friendly. And I think if you don't have the money 
if you're just scraping by on minimum wage, then by all means, eat whatever you can afford. Eat yes. Wonder Bread, eat Kraft macaroni and cheese, eat these cheap, heavily processed things, eat at McDonald's, eat whatever it is that you can afford. Mm. But again, if you've reached a certain standard of living and you have a bit of disposable mm -hmm. income, then I also think it's a sort of moral obligation to not put price as the sole determinant of what you invest in for your house, yeah. for your family. And just asking ourselves, what are some tiny things that I can do? Just a few small things to make my footprint a little better. What if I replace mm -hmm. the bulbs? What if I eliminate three versions of plastic packaging from my life. All of these tiny yeah. little changes, we have to be under the assumption that they add up because they do. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, yeah, I mean, we've kind of got not many other, you know, we haven't really got that much choice. I mean, our democratically elected governments are, you know, doing what they're doing, but it doesn't seem to be enough or quick enough. So you're right. These are the key. These are the options that we've got left to us. You know, voting with our dollar or a pound. You know, that's what we've got. We, you know, when if you if you have the luxury of being able to make a choice, then choose the thing that's better for your grandkids who may not even exist yet, but it will be better for them because they're going to need it. And I think that it's so easy as an intelligent person with the bombardment of information like you described. It's yeah. easy to become cynical and it's easy to become apathetic. It's easy to say, what does any of it matter? It's hopeless. The earth will be fine, but we're screwed. It's very, very easy to go down that path. It's much harder to say, what is something that I can do to improve this a little bit? And whether that's enough or not, that's not up to us. That's not up to you. I don't know whether it's enough or not, but I know that trying, there's nobility in trying. <laughs> it's better to... Uh, to fight the good fight and stand for something than to just give up and say it's hopeless and, oh, yeah, sorry, grandkids. <laughs> sorry, it's over. Party's over. So, there's nowhere left for you to live because the sea's yep. risen. So. <laughs> Remember all those things where people used to talk about parks and oceans, all those fun things. All that, the, you forget know, it. Beaches. But you've got VR, though. You've got VR. Just don't choke on the coal and the power plant exhaust while you're, you know, don't breathe in the air while you're in your VR world because yeah, that will be bad. Well, you're living in your Matrix-esque existence exactly. in the metaverse. It's going to be um, amazing. Ugh, oh truly terrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about, Mark Zuckerberg and all those people. Um, but as we approach the end of our hour, I want to know, Again, we talk about things that are unusual. What mm -hmm. are some unusual things that you have learned from this process? And uh, what are some things that you believe or have learned that go counter to conventional wisdom? Oh, God, that's a really good question. Um, God, that's a really good question. So, do you know one of the one of the things actually that I have learned and you know found the hardest actually is being is having that switch from being part of a really big team and having all of that kind of structure that a corporate life gives you you know because you've all got you know reports and you've got verticals and you know you know uh, managers like manage lines of management and all that stuff. And then going to running my own business from scratch, completely greenfield, 
And actually, I mean, I, I'm quite a structured person and quite organised and quite focused, but even I found it really hard to go from loads of structure to absolutely no structure. And I mean, it might have been made worse because of, you know, we, we, I was doing this through the pandemic. So everything was all kind of crazy. And as I said, I was, I was trying to get recover from long COVID as well. So, so that just made everything a bit, you know, really different. But I found that quite hard. And, you know, if I was going to be doing it again, I would be wanting to set up a business with a co-founder because even just having that other person just to be able to bounce ideas off of talk and, you know, just, you know, give each other that structure. I'd, I, I said that that would be my biggest, you know, the, the thing that I found the hardest and the thing that I've learned, learned the most, um, learned the most. And, um, and it's not necessarily that I, you know, don't want to make decisions or I can't make decisions without another person there, but it's really just that, you know, running a startup is really, it's, it's very emotional. It's like full of really high highs, like getting that Vogue coverage, just amazing. And then low lows and like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. And actually just having that other person there to, um, you know, to just pull you up when you're feeling a bit down. And then likewise, you pull them up when they're feeling a bit down and just, talk communicate innovate create collaborate um yeah that that's big the biggest thing that I've learned and um you know if I was going to be setting up a, a business again I would be searching for my co-founder first before I um actually bothered with the business idea because having a co-founder that you can work with is I think more important interesting that's very valuable yeah. and we didn't actually touch I realize now at the end of the hour we didn't touch much on COVID um, do you want to quickly right. share how it impacted you? God, it, it, I mean, it's, it, it has completely changed my life. I was really, really ill for, I was admitted to hospital for multiple times. So I caught it just before we locked down in the UK, probably on the train from London. And um, I, yeah, I was really, I had to take 12 months off. So all of that amazing momentum that I'd got in the beginning of, launching Happy Beauty, all the Vogue coverage and everything at the back end of 2019. I rolled into 2020 and, you know, I'd sold out of product in like three months. I was amazed. And then I was trying to restock and, you know, carry on that momentum. And I got ill and I just had to stop. I had no other option. And um, yeah, it, it took, uh, I had to take 12 months out. I was more or less bed bound for My most God. of the summer of 2020. It, it was really, really tough. I mean, a life-changing illness. And um, and then when I restarted working on Happier in kind of March, April, May, it was, it's, you know, I, I was only doing a couple of hours a day. And so for 21, so from May onwards, I've kind of built up from a couple of hours a day up to, you know, five or six hours a day. So I'm still effectively working part-time, which isn't great with a startup, but um, a lot better than... Yeah. than um, still being bed-bound and in and out of hospital. So I can only be pleased. You just Thank looked you. at the situation and you said, creating a startup is not difficult enough, so I'm going to make it even harder. It's yes. too easy. <laughs> yes, you're so right. You're so right. What can I, I do mean... to make an impossible task even more impossible? I know what I'll do. Recover from a life-changing well, illness yes. and work part-time. And also start over and work part-time. Yeah, I know. Um, 
I know. Well, I, again, I, I salute you. I applaud you. Congratulations for sticking out. I'm glad you're still with us. I'm glad you did recover, and I'm glad that you've stuck true to your mission. God knows yeah. we need more people thinking like you and doing what you're doing. And I think there's so many fantastic tidbits in our conversation for anybody mm. who's willing to pay attention. And uh, I wish you incredible success in the next several years. I hope that you build a team and all of these things that make it even more rewarding as you go. But most of yeah. all, I just appreciate you sitting with me and sharing your story today. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Good, well, to, uh, good to meet you. Likewise, the pleasure is all mine. And with that, the official podcast is over.